1: I'm Jenna Ellis, and welcome to Just the Truth Podcast, sponsored by the Thomas More Society, which is a not-for-profit national public interest law firm dedicated to restoring respect in law for life, family, and religious liberty. You can find them at thomasmoresociety.org. Breaking today, the Thomas More Society, of which I am also special counsel, announced the settlement of two cases involving churches in California that pushed back against the extremely unconstitutional COVID restrictions that were restricting religious liberty in the state of California. One of those cases was with Friar Thomas Burfitt, Well, the Thomas More Society did see Governor Gavin Newsom in court and are now requiring his taxpayers via the settlement to pay upwards of $2.1 million because church is essential. We have to protect religious liberty. And joining me now is my co-counsel on the John MacArthur case, which is still ongoing in the state of California, uh, but also one of the primary counsel on the Burfitt and South Bay cases in California with this historic win, Paul Jana. Paul, thanks so much for joining me again here on Just the Truth.
2: Great to be with you. Thank you, Jenna.
1: Well, congratulations on this amazing settlement. And I hope that uh, this is a step forward to protect churches and religious liberty uh, for the future. And part of this settlement was also a permanent injunction. So talk about that.
2: Sure. Yeah. So Father Burford, actually, who you saw in that video, he obtained the first uh, court ruling and joining these restrictions in California back in uh, late 2020. So he, he was a major victory that for a long time, his churches were the only ones open while there was a complete shutdown and throughout the state. But what this injunction does, essentially, is it, it memorializes what the Supreme Court said now in three different cases, uh, starting with the Brooklyn Diocese case, the South Bay case, and the Tandon case, and and essentially is you can't treat a church worse than Costco. I mean, that's a very simple way of understanding it, but these injunctions now kind of cement th- those holdings. They've agreed uh, that we we are the prevailing parties and they've agreed to pay uh, reasonable attorney's fees for the massive amount of time spent fighting these cases. I mean, it didn't have to go this way. It didn't have to be this difficult. Governor Newsom I'm sure understands the constitution. He has teams of lawyers. He should have understood the constitution correctly from the outset and just, um, you know, Impose restrictions that were not discriminatory towards churches, but instead we had to fight and fight and fight, go to the Supreme Court multiple times to vindicate these fundamental constitutional rights. And finally, uh, we've resolved the cases to, to our client's satisfaction with very strong permanent injunctions that hopefully, you know, in our view will prevent anything like this from ever happening again.
1: And this is such a wonderful resolution, and it has been a really long year for churches across the country who have been fighting uh, to remain open and to not be treated worse than businesses. And uh, so I just commend all of the work, uh, Paul, that you have done, uh, Chuck Lamondry, other people at the Thomas More Society at your firm. Uh, I'm so grateful for all of the hard work. And, you know, as we look back over this year and at the outset where people were saying, well, you can just stay home and church isn't a And, um, you know, we're saying that churches were overreaching by filing these lawsuits. I think this really shows a great vindication. And what does it say to you about the composition of the Supreme Court into the future and the future really of the First Amendment?
2: First, let me start by saying, Jenna, you've done some excellent work on these cases, too. You need to be praised for your excellent work on the the MacArthur case. We have some amazing victories and uh, some more to come soon, hopefully. Um, as far as uh, the cases, yeah, they were very unpopular. People on, you know, lots of people on both sides of the issue, um, conservative, liberal, were not a big fan of of challenging these cases. People were very scared early on in the pandemic. And, and you know, for for good reason, because the media was really, really instilling fear in people. So uh, these cases were not popular. We got involved after we, you know, basically it was our client's last um, effort to sort of uh, see justice. They were waiting for the governors to do the right thing and for these officials to do the right thing. The Supreme Court composition had everything to do with it. We give all glory to God for the win in these cases. I mean, we went to the Supreme Court back in May. It was a five to four ruling. Justice Ginsburg, uh, God rest her soul, was still on the court. Um, after she passed, Justice Barrett uh, came on the court and uh, uh, correctly uh, you know, set the standard with, with the rest of her conservative justices. And, and that was in the Brooklyn Diocese case, November of 2020. And then uh, the South Bay case, which was our case, went went up to the Supreme Court in February of 2021, and uh, there's been subsequent positive rulings since then. But the composition of the Supreme Court, which we have no control over, obviously uh, was was you know the key factor here. So yeah.
1: Yeah, and I really commend President Trump for uh, his great work with that as well. And obviously, this would not have been possible without the Thomas More Society and uh, allowing us to do this great work through the Thomas More Society. And so, uh, Paul, thank you again so much uh, for this. And we'll look forward to hopefully a resolution soon with the John MacArthur case. And uh, thank you again for all of your work. And so, um, you know, as as people look at this and as you consider how important church is to a America and how important the protections of religious liberty are in America, we do have to continue to pray. But I would also urge you support organizations like the Thomas More Society that are doing such excellent work in the Supreme Court. We'll be right back.
0: CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car.
1: Welcome back to Just the Truth and also breaking today, Eric Metaxas, our great friend who's the host of The Eric Metaxas Show, has been suspended off of YouTube. Uh, This, of course, coming in the wake of many conservative censorship from private platforms and this is just ridiculous. Friends, this has to stop because you know that these uh, private companies who have these platforms are trying to be the arbiters of truth. They are trying to censor only conservative content and they are trying to make sure that only Only their viewpoint prevails. So joining me now to discuss more is my good friend, Eric Metaxas. So Eric, uh, talk about this, what happened, and I mean, I know that this impacts your bottom line as well, and obviously we all have to make a living.
3: Well, I mean, first of all, I should be clear, it's not really a suspension. I've been suspended before. This is a total removal of the entire channel, every video, it's gone. It's wow. a stunning thing, I didn't expect it. It's one thing to be suspended for a couple of weeks, which is childish enough. Listen, we have to understand, we have to call this out for what it is. This is Maoist, Stalinist, Soviet, Marxist. This is what you do when you don't believe in freedom. And most Americans understand this is a nation built on freedom. What they are doing uh, is an extraordinary Uh, usurpation of Americans' rights. And to do this kind of thing, we have to fight back hard. I am genuinely considering suing them because this is totally unacceptable. Uh, The way I was raised, my mom and dad, they're fighters. Uh, They raised me to hate communism, to love freedom. And I just want to say that this is just monstrous. You know, Jen, I have to explain that What they try to do first is they they give you strikes if you post a video they don't like. Now imagine what would the video be that I'm posting that is so offensive. I have a family program. I would never use a word or talk about anything that's inappropriate, but I've had guests on that will talk about maybe not getting the vaccine. Maybe maybe vaccine passports are a dangerous idea. We need to fight against it. Uh, Maybe I'll talk about the election fraud. Just talking about those things causes YouTube to freak out and say, you're going to be suspended. You're going to be suspended again. Be careful. This time they removed the channel. This was like the last straw for them. And keep in mind, we've been trying hard to play nice. In other words, we've not even been posting anything controversial. According to them, we've just said, okay, we're not going to post that on YouTube. They went backwards to find things that we had posted in the past. So I think the last one was a Naomi Wolf interview. She's not even a conservative, but she dares to speak out against the the vaccine uh, thinking. And because of that, two months ago, they decided now after two months, so they're kind of hunting for stuff. So I think what they really do is they target people. And to go back to their hero, uh, Joseph Stalin, he said, you know, show me the man and I will, Find you the crime, or, or you know, the point is it's the that-
1: definition of malicious prosecution in the sense of it's malicious censorship. I mean, that's exactly what a malicious prosecutor would do: is target an individual and then say it doesn't matter what the evidence shows. We're going to fabricate something wrong so that we can target them and get them convicted of something. And so when YouTube um, actually removed all of your content, I mean, I'm glad you clarified this isn't just a suspension; it's outright no. removal. Did they give you a reason at all?
3: Um, Today, my producer, Chris, was looking into this. They said it was because of the Naomi Wolf uh, April 5th interview, which they hadn't even given us a strike as far as I can tell. They just said, you know, no, clearly they are trying to remove certain voices from the mainstream. This is a huge financial hit. um, But I say that not because uh, I've lost faith. I mean, To me, it only makes me fight harder. If you think you can silence me in the United States of (laughs) America, (laughs) I will not be quiet and I will be more loud about this than anything. Because, look, this is a challenge to every American. It's got nothing to do with me. I am putting information out there specifically to help my fellow Americans and others navigate the strange times in which we live. So I have guests on. I've had you on. People Uh, who come on my program, I might not agree with everything they say, but I I want to bring these different voices. The idea that these jugheads with power at YouTube are not censoring pornography. uh, I mean, they've got things on there that are so foul ideologically and in every other way but they let it ride, they don't have a problem with that. They have a problem with Naomi Wolf, Rhodes Scholar, coming on the program with her fellow Yale classmate to discuss the vaccine. That's what they have a problem with. Something tells me they're scared of the truth. And you know, if I were YouTube, I would be scared because I think they're in trouble. I think that when you try to pull this stuff, enough people are gonna speak up and, you know, we'll see what happens, but yeah, I'm... Uh, I'm, I'm sanguine about it. I'm hopeful for the country. And this is a, a, a wonderful moment just to be able to, you know, to speak up about censorship.
1: Absolutely. And I am so grateful for your strong voice, Eric, and that you refuse to back down to this type of censorship because a lot of Americans need to have and see that type of leadership and have courage in their own spheres of influence to continue to speak the truth and also to just continue to have a diversity of opinion so that we can arrive at the truth. I mean, if you look at what has happened over the last year, I mean, even with ABC uh, coming out now and, and acknowledging that they censored and suppressed the story about Uh, the Wuhan lab and that this was a manufactured virus that leaked just because they hated President Trump. That is not how the press should operate. And when you have a platform of opinion like yours and mine, we need to be able to talk freely about truth together. That's the entire point of the First Amendment, so that we can have that free exchange of ideas. And so, you know, our friends at Project Veritas have sued uh, Facebook, other entities. And so, you know, as you're contemplating that type of a lawsuit, um, I would wish you great luck and success in that vein. Um, But in the meantime, how can people continue to see your show, hear your voice, and also support you as well?
3: Well, the main thing I'm telling everybody is please, please, please go to my website. It's just my name, Eric Metaxas, ericmetaxas.com. You can sign up for my newsletters. And what I do is once a week or twice a week, we just send out all the videos with descriptions and photos. And so you don't have to go hunting around. Most of our stuff will be on Rumble. Uh, I do put it out usually uh, on Twitter and on Gab and on Facebook, but the best thing is if people go to ericmataxis.com and sign up for the newsletter because it gets a little complicated, and we just want to be able to give you information that is difficult to get to you. So that's uh, that would be the best thing.
1: Yeah, and that's it's so important, Eric, to have you know again to have those types of conversations, and you know as you're looking at. Uh, what's happening with, for example, the vaccine. I mean, we'll talk about the truth on this program as well. You know, when I see uh, the CDC now having these guidelines, um, like saying, okay, well, I guess, you know, the, the masks now can be removed if you're vaccinated and, you know, all of these types of restrictions. And then you have somebody like Pete Buttigieg come out and say, I think it was yesterday. Well, it's a sign of respect that we still wear masks. I mean, the complete arbitrary, ridiculous virtue signaling of this, I think Americans are getting SICK OF IT, AND THIS IS POTENTIALLY A REASON THAT THESE PLATFORMS ARE SORT OF CRACKING DOWN AND SAYING, SORRY, YOU CAN'T TALK ABOUT IT. WHAT DO YOU THINK? No, THAT'S
3: EXACTLY RIGHT. AND I REALLY THINK MOST AMERICANS are, ARE REALLY FED UP. AND, YOU KNOW, AMERICANS ARE NICE TO A FAULT. AND WE LET THINGS GO FOR TOO LONG. WE SHOULD HAVE BEEN FIGHTING THIS FOR YEARS. BUT WE SORT OF LET IT GO, LET IT GO, LET IT GO. AND THEN, AT SOME POINT, PEOPLE SAY, OKAY, YOU KNOW WHAT? Now." you've really got my attention. I've had it. I'm not gonna do this anymore. I'm not gonna, people are, they're fed up with innumerable things. I mean, today, for example, June 1st, everywhere you turn, Pride Month, Pride Month, every website you come up, it's about Pride Month. And I think to myself, listen, in America, people are free to believe what they want and to choose whatever lifestyle they want. But for people to feel the need to to celebrate this, it's gonna be forced down everybody's throat. People get fed up. They say, you know what, Uh, I'm willing to play nice, but don't take advantage of my niceness. Respect me. You don't have to agree with me, but respect my point of view. Every devout Muslim, every devout Jew, every devout Christian cannot celebrate Pride Month. So why do they continue to push it as though they don't care what every devout Muslim, every devout Christian, and every devout Jew thinks? They don't care. That is intolerance on display, and most Americans want to fight against it, and they want to support those of us who are speaking against it, so you can count on me to keep doing it.
1: Great. Well, I'm so proud to be your friend, Eric, and I am really uh, encouraged by your attitude towards this. And you're right that we as Americans have to pray fundamentally for our country because you're absolutely right. I mean, as I look at Pride Month as a Christian, I'm not going to pers- participate in that. I'm not going to celebrate it. I will celebrate the truth and the eternal word of God, and I will not be coerced by my government or by uh, you know any sort of peer pressure to participate in uh, any of those celebrations. And And that's where we've come to in this country, where you're considered a bigot or intolerant if you won't participate in things that go against your sincerely held religious beliefs. And that's absolutely not the definition of tolerance, it's the definition of coercion. And that's, I think, what these platforms are getting to as well. And so um, just in the last 30 seconds, uh, what is your message of hope to America?
3: Well, I have no doubt that God has blessed this country beyond any country in the history of the world. Because of that, we have a responsibility in America. We have responsibility. The onus is on us to lift the torch of freedom high, to be a beacon for the rest of the world, to speak truth. If you don't speak up, you have become part of the problem. We have responsibility as free Americans. We'll leave it there.
1: Thanks, Eric. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Just the Truth, and we're continuing our conversation about big tech censorship and bias and what we can do about it with my good friend Brendan Carr, who is the Commissioner of the FCC. And so, uh, Brendan, thank you so much for joining me. And you wrote a really great piece in Newsweek um, that's talking about ending big tech's free ride. So, what is? um, I, I know that all Americans see the problem here, and especially conservatives, but you've proposed a really interesting solution.
4: Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. You know, I think the the bias that we're seeing right now on social media platforms against conservatives is is deep and it's broad. And the consequences are really severe. You know, what we're seeing right now is the shutting down of discussions, not just about conservative speech, but you're not even allowed to have a conversation about the potential origins uh, of the coronavirus or the New York Post story on Hunter Biden in the lead up to the presidential election. Those stories are getting spiked. I mean, anything that does not fit with Democrat orthodoxy is getting silenced. So I've put forward a plan uh, that would address this, and it's really three parts. Part one is uh, transparency. Right now, social media is a black box. You know whether your stuff gets promoted or demoted, or you get um, lose followers, or you get kicked off, you have no reason why. Uh, step two is accountability. You know no business in this country can get away with representing that they're going to provide a service that's open to everybody across the ideological spectrum. And then in practice, engage in conduct that is clearly leaning one way. So I think there's room there for action at the state level, as well as the federal level. And then user empowerment. You know, the entire purpose of Section 230 originally was to allow social media sites to provide tools to individual users to make their own content moderation decisions. And we've completely lost that balance. Now it is nothing but a handful of Silicon Valley billionaires that are deciding what we're allowed to say and what we're allowed to speak. So I've put forward some ideas on that and also some other ideas that go to how do we fund the internet infrastructure itself?
1: Right, and, and in, in uh, that last piece as well, funding the, uh, the Internet infrastructure, you basically have, s- have laid out in this Newsweek piece that uh, big tech in terms of a lot of these social media platforms are just enjoying a free ride, and it uh, ultimately it ends up as uh, the user that is footing a lot of this bill, and you want to change that as well, right?
4: Yeah, that's exactly right. Not a lot of people know this, but we have a roughly 9 to $10 billion a year fund at the FCC called the Universal Service Fund that we use to support efforts to bridge the digital divide, whether it's building rural networks where there's no private sector case or subsidizing service for low income. The way we collect that money is by putting a tax on consumers' monthly bill for telephone services. And right now that tax has been skyrocketing. It's 30%. So there's an added 30% charge on your telephone bill today that we collect that we use to support these infrastructure bills. There's also discussions separately in Congress about spending upwards of another $100 billion on these efforts. So all of that goes to the question of how do we pay for that? And the reality is that big tech is the biggest beneficiary of these high-speed networks. They derive tremendous value, trillions of dollars worth. And in fact, if you look at downstream traffic on these networks, 75% of downstream traffic is related to big tech, whether it's Netflix or Amazon Prime. And yet the costs of that network are being borne entirely by you and me and uh, end user consumers. So I think it's time that we reorient that approach and we go to the businesses that are benefiting off these networks and say, it's time for you to kick in and pay a fair share so that you know the grandma with the copper line telephone isn't the one that's paying for these high-speed networks that Amazon, Netflix, Google, and others are benefiting from so tremendously.
1: And this sounds like such a reasonable plan, uh, but in terms of the enforcement mechanism, what is the way of, of getting big tech to actually agree to this? I mean, clearly they don't want uh, to provide that type of transparency. They never give a lot of people uh, their their reason for being suspended. Or, like Eric Metaxas just said, I mean, his his uh, reason allegedly was for a two month old interview that you know is clearly bogus. And so, you know, is this is the enforcement mechanism just through legislation that? Forces big tech companies, and you know, people would say, "Well, this is a private industry, so uh, you know, there may be some tensions there." Or, or what's uh, really the the challenge to big tech's buy-in?
4: Yeah, as you know, in DC, there's always two fights you have to win. The first fight is getting conservatives and Republicans inside the Beltway to realize that there is a problem with the status quo, and this was something that took to the very, very end of the last administration for a. Uh, a group in D.C., a a, a sort of a a sufficient number of conservatives to realize we got to do something about big tech, because the instinct in Washington for so long was the only threat to individual liberty comes from government action. Therefore, if it's a business that is doing something that is biased or harming a consumer, well, who are we as Republicans or conservatives to say something about that? So that has to change. I think it has changed. Now the question is, how do we turn that desire to uh, uh, take some action into positive law? And we need to attack this on two levels. One, Congress needs to fundamentally update and reform Section 230. Today, it is failing. It is a thumb on the scale in favor of more censorship. And we shouldn't have a federal public policy that's doing that. Our policy should be in favor of more speech. So we need to reform 230 at the federal level. Second, I think there's room for states to step into the void and look at state consumer protection laws, similar to the moves that uh, Governor DeSantis has made in Florida and says, Again, if you're going to hold yourself out as a platform that for all the censorship you do, you're not going to censorship censor based on political ideology, but then in fact it turns out that you're doing that, you should be held liable to that. And that's not an infringement of Twitter's First Amendment right. It's simply holding them accountable to the public representations they make. So I think the efforts that are going on in Florida right now, which are being challenged in the court system, we'll see how that plays out. I think that type of effort should be replicated in states across the country by governors and conservative legislatures that say, you know what, we wanna stand up to the biased abuse of power in these state level sort of consumer protection actions are the way to do that.
1: Yeah, and that makes so much sense, and you know, two things that you highlighted I think are really, really important. Um, you know, the first is that Republicans and conservatives do need to change our attitude. And I think we have uh, changed it a lot just because we've been the victims, largely, of all of this type of censorship. And so when President Trump was still in office, we were looking at Section 230. We wanted that to change. But that goes into your second point, that states really need to do uh, the job here, and they have a lot of ability. I think a lot of Americans, because they're so much emphasis on the federal government. Think that everything has to be handled from a federal legislative standpoint, where our system is actually state sovereignty, and states can do so much. And so, um, so I think you know. Also, it's it's really interesting for um, for individual users when you talk about the Consumer Protection Act. Do you think that there's any risk that some of these uh, big tech companies are just going to be so? blatant in their bias that they're just going to write in their user terms of agreement, hey, if we don't like anything, we're not content neutral, we're going to censor anything that we believe is a quote-unquote offensive uh, speech or offensive content, and would they be protected in that way to basically put you on notice, you're conservative, too bad, you're not welcome on our platform.
4: There's certainly a risk of that, and that's why I think you gotta do two things. One, to say, look, if you're gonna discriminate against conservatives, you, know, you need to say that in, in plain terms so we all know and can vote with our feet where we go. But I do think we should look beyond that. And there's efforts right now, Justice Thomas, for instance, has articulated some theories under which we could look at sort of common carriage type anti-discrimination law, maybe public accommodation law. If you go down that route, you can say, no, you don't get to discriminate on against someone for their political ideology. You don't get to say, I don't want conservatives on this website and kick them out. So there are ongoing efforts right now to look at addressing that second issue. And I think we need to attack it from both prongs. Both, let's require a lot more uh, transparency and and anti-discrimination requirements. And then let's also take a look at some of these common carriage stuff type rules of the road. And there's going to be some challenges brought on First Amendment grounds, but there's some Supreme Court cases, including uh, Turner and others in the must-carry context that recognize exceptions to circumstances in which a platform like this could simply Uh, kick someone off based on their political views.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a really reasonable point to say that that should be, um, in in simple terms, a protected class, to say you can't discriminate against someone any more than you could their religious beliefs. And, you know, there were a lot of cases against even, you know, for example, dating websites that said, you know, we only will have uh, Christians on and, you know, some of those types of things um, in this type of space. So it's really interesting. And I think um, you're giving a lot of people encouragement, uh, Mr. Carr. And I think that that's really uh, a great way to approach this with hope, because a lot of people are saying you know we're just we're censored we're silent this is so frustrating with the biden administration so for everyone who's watching this and they're saying yay we have an advocate in brendan carr definitely follow um everyone follow him on social media on twitter uh, look at what's going on but how can uh, individuals in their states as well as with uh, their representation in congress get involved and try to advocate for this as well
4: Well, the good news is that step one of getting a critical mass of conservative officials that say, yeah, there's more that conservatives can do here than just sit on our hands. I think we're winning that fight. And now step two is let's hold people accountable to take that desire to do something and translate it into legislative action. So I think there's some interest in Capitol Hill in Washington to take action. But people should also look to their state legislatures and say, we think you should take a look at state consumer protection laws to make sure that I'm not illegally Uh, discriminated against online. You can look at the Florida bill as an example. Texas is looking at one as well. I think getting some momentum on those state law, state legislative efforts is the next front in this.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I love the flags that say make America Florida. (laughs) It's it's a great thing uh, in terms of of just freedom across all fronts. So thank you so much, uh, Brendan Carr, the uh, commissioner of the FCC, for your time and your work on this. And I really appreciate you joining us. And as there is any other legislation unfolding, definitely come back. And I would encourage everyone uh, who is watching this, if you are concerned about everything we just talked about with Eric Metaxas, everything I just talked about with uh, Brendan Carr, I mean, you have to continue to use your voice and I haven't just uh, voluntarily gotten off of any platforms because I refuse to do that. I'm going to stand up and use my voice. They're going to have to force me to be silent and they're not going to be able to accomplish that. So continue to make sure that you make your voices heard, but make your voices heard to also the people who are in authority that can do something about it. It's the same thing as election integrity. If you just sit out and you don't exercise your vote, you're just handing it to the other side. So make sure that you are contacting your state legislators. Send them the bill from Florida as Brennan just said and tell them you want to make sure that your voice and First Amendment freedoms are protected and that also small businesses aren't able to discriminate against you just for your political viewpoint. And that goes across the board. I don't agree with my friends who are Democrats, but I absolutely will stand up for their right to say it. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Just the Truth. And joining me now is my good friend, Vernon Jones, who is a brand new Republican as of last year. And welcome to the conservative fight, my friend. And you are now running for governor of Georgia. And I wanna talk about that first because there are so many problems in Georgia. And I think that you are the man with the solutions.
5: Well, obviously we have some issues here in Georgia and you are my friend and I appreciate all you're doing for the conservative movement. One of the things that we're concentrating on as I pursue uh, being elected governor in Georgia is election integrity. You know, we've had a number of issues here. Uh, there's been a stonewall from Democrats and the liberal media to keep us from having even just an audit, a forensic audit. The government's against it. With the governor being against it, it makes you feel like there's something to hide. Jen, that's why I'm asking everyone to join this fight at jonesforgeorgia.com. We're pushing for election integrity, a forensic audit to make sure everything was processed, and. How is it that Stacey's law superseded state law? As you know, the Constitution provides for only the legislatures to change election laws. But when we have a settlement backroom agreement with the executive branch of government, including the governor, to go in and change our absentee ballot process from signature verifications to creating these so-called drop boxes that were not a part of state law, that tells you right there that Brian Kemp, the governor, caved in. The Secretary of State, he caved in. All of them caved in to the left and to the big bad wicked witch, Stacey Abrams. Well, I'm not going to cut and run on election integrity. I'm certainly not going to cut and run on this president.
1: And that is so great to hear. And I think Georgia is such an interesting battleground, and particularly now in this governor's race, because this is where, my friends, you are seeing conservative ideology and country over party, because you have someone like you, Vernon Jones, um, who was a former Democrat, but you have conservative values, American principles. And then you have someone like uh, like Brian Kemp, who he claims to be a Republican, but clearly is not operating in the manner of a consistent Conservative, and so as you look at what's going on in Georgia with these audits, uh, what would be your first priority as governor in terms of uh, of election integrity and making sure that what happened in 2020 is never repeated again?
5: Well, we're not going to let Stacey Abrams and others cut backroom deals, You usurp, usurp the authority of the Georgia General Assembly, the, the legislative branch of government. Think about this—that's your schoolhouse rock, exactly. Uh, judicial and and legislative, the legislative branch determines all election laws, but also we're going to go a step further. Obviously there's not a lot of trust uh, and confidence in the current election system that we use. It is dominion. There's a lot of lack of trust, a lot of questions that have not been answered. We're going to go to the heart of that. And we want to have an election system in place that people have full confidence in. Not only that though, they feel like their vote is being counted. Uh, There's a backup. There are ways that we can do the checks and balances where people feel comfortable. That's another big issue. And we're gonna fight this not just for Republicans, but it's for Democrats, it's for Georgians. We need to have that. And right now that's all been shattered. There's a dark cloud. Our governor did not stand up and fight while he was on the sidelines. You and me and others on the front lines fighting for election integrity. Is that asking too much, Gina? Yes, it is from the liberals and from the, those who are uh, a part of Stacey Abrams who feel like, oh, we don't need an audit, but remember, when she lost her election, she cried foul. She said there was election fraud and she actually sued the state. The hypocrisy of that. Matter of fact, has she submitted her, or, or no, has she even agreed to that she has lost that election yet? Has <laughs> she conceded to that election yet? No. And, and, and then here she is uh, using things like Jim Crow, where there's no Jim Crow, that you know, these white liberal groups are using her to push some Jim Crow law to keep black people on that plantation that plantation of liberalism. You know, liberals destroy the black community. Now it's time for the black community to destroy liberals.
1: Yeah, and that just is so reasonable, Vernon, and what is I think frustrating to a lot to every reasonable American is that it's common sense that we have to secure our elections. But for liberals, they want it both ways. The leftists will cry foul and even, you know, Mark Elias, who is the attorney for, uh, you know, for the left. And he uh, is saying, oh, well, you know, this is all about voter suppression. He'll go and run out and challenge the election results for any Democrat. But when it comes to these common sense, uh, safeguard measures just so that every legal voter, regardless of who they're voting for, their party of choice. Uh, that they can feel confident that their vote is counted and it's not diluted by illegal votes or uh, votes that are counted inaccurately. And so this is just common sense. And I am sick and tired of people saying that this is all about voter suppression, it's about racism, it's about any of those things. This is fundamentally about the Constitution. It's about being Americans and that we get to protect and preserve our vote so that we elect our leaders and we get to choose them. And so, you know, what are you seeing on the ground there In Georgia, is this, you know, the mainstream media would say, oh, well, Georgia doesn't want election integrity. You know, this is a ridiculous audit, that kind of thing. But are you uh, seeing that people on the ground in Georgia are with you and want election integrity measures?
5: Clearly, most Georgians are with me, those who are concerned about election integrity. But you know what? There is a history of racism, there's a history of Jim Crow, there is a history of voter suppression, but it's with the Democratic Party. They want black people to believe that they cannot afford a free ID. They want black people to believe if they change the runoff date, that that's going to suppress them from coming to vote. They want black people to believe that unless there's a drop box, they won't be able to vote. That's voter suppression. But not only that, they do vote intimidation. If you have a political ideology or a different political party affiliation, they want to physically attack you. That's one of the first things I will do as governor. That is passing a hate crime bill. For all those who attack you based on your political ideology or your party affiliation. But there are other things, too, that the left wants to push. The critical race theory. Who are the most racist? It's the liberals, because they think they know what's best for black people. Joe Biden said that, you know what, if you're black, uh, if you don't vote for me, not black. Or wait a minute, most black people are are suffering from uh, COVID because they don't know how to go online. And wait a minute, to say that black people are suffering from white supremacy? What we're suffering from is a disparity in economic development and education disparity. That's what we're suffering from. That's the biggest threat towards the African-American community. And, you know, when you look again, Jenna, uh, at their agenda, the left agenda, they want to allow for children to have uh, transgender sex operations, to be injected with hormones at very early ages. You have to be 18 to vote and 21 to buy some cigarettes. But not only that, the Democrats claim that they support women. Well, okay, why aren't you protecting female sports? You want to allow for viral transgender men to participate in female sports. When that happens, you don't find the fastest female. If anything, you probably find the slowest male outrunning the fastest female, which means you should follow the science. And so all of those things that the left were pushing that we're not going to stand for, that's dead on arrival when I'm a, I'm governor, and I'm not going to be like Governor Kemp Marano, doesn't have the spine. Uh, when you look at what's happening in Washington as a result of, of uh, do, uh, I should say, uh, Brian Kemp, we lost two U.S. Senate seats and we lost the president election. That allowed us to be, be in, uh, uh, I should say, governed by who? Three people, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and, and uh, Joe Biden. And they remind me, the three of them, are the Wizard of Oz. One has no heart, the other has no courage, and the other has no brain. And we're not being led by Dorothy and Toto, but we're being led by the Wicked Witch of the South, Stacey Abrams. We're going to shut that down. They can't play that card with me. Let them play the Ace of Hearts or the Ace of Spades with me. We got something for them. If you want to be a part of this fight and stand up for election integrity in Georgia and replacing this round-on governor we have, go to jonesforgeorgia.com. Donate. Be a part of this fight.
1: So well said, my friend, and I wish you all the best and thank you so much for the fight that uh, you're fighting in Georgia. I mean, this is so important. And I think you highlight something that's very important is that this isn't just an isolated issue of election integrity. This is about the left's agenda to fundamentally transform America. That's what they're after. And they know that if they can install their candidates of preference, then they will carry out all of their agenda across the board. We have to stop it. So definitely support my friend Vernon Jones and we'll be right back with more of Just The Truth. Welcome back to Just the Truth. And friends, the Georgia audit is so important. All of the election integrity efforts across the country are so important because as I've continued to talk with President Trump about um, actually quite a bit over this past weekend, this matters so much because the truth will continue to come out. The truth always comes out. And as we're seeing with the audit in Georgia, the truth is going to come out. And so I want you to watch this interview from our own Heather Mullins, Who is a correspondent with real america's voice and she did an interview with garland favorito who is one of the members who is heading up the georgia audit watch this
6: heather mullins with real america's voice in fulton county georgia with the one and only garland favorito of voter ga outside of none other than the ballot warehouse that hosts the very ballots in question that you're seeking to have unsealed and audited as part of your lawsuit Tell us, Garland, what was supposed to happen here today?
7: Well, it was just going to be a simple meeting between the attorneys and the experts to kind of hash out the plan, and um, right, which we actually decided not to submit since they had postponed the meeting. Um, and so, what happened was the uh, there were two motions: a motion to stay, uh, first of all, to delay the the hearing, and then also to um, two motions to. the plaintiffs, or the defendants, excuse me, made motions to dismiss themselves from the case. So in other words, Fulton County Board of Elections said, no, under the new guidelines for uh, sovereign immunity in Georgia, you have to sue the county, the full county. And the county uh, Board of Commission says, no, no, you have to sue the Board of Elections on the new kinds of, uh grounds. So basically they're finger pointing at each other, Says sue him, sue her, you know, and that's where we are. So as a result of that, the judge said, let's, uh, we'll wait another 30 days, I'm going to address all these motions, we'll get them resolved. And then I'm hoping that we'll move forward at that time.
6: And now these motions that you said were filed uh, by the county and by the board. Um, two new attorneys have thrown their hat in the ring we have donald samuel and we have amanda clark palmer both of the same law firm um i noticed when i was digging up some information on them they're criminal defense attorneys are you aware of any election law experience either one of them have or why they would choose to bring on such high profile criminal defense attorneys
7: Well, you're right. They they don't have any elections uh, experience that I'm aware of, and they are criminal defense uh, attorneys, which is kind of strange because our case is a civil case. We're not filing any criminal uh, um, motions or anything like that. uh, And so why they they would bring those on, it's kind of fascinating. Uh, Maybe they know something that we don't know yet.
6: Awesome. And then the the other motions were there. Motions filed by Fulton County's attorney as as well.
7: Um, the the they were actually representing uh, the Fulton County's at- attorney. Yes. So it's kind of a confusing mess. So uh, the the new criminal uh, defense attorneys are representing the county, uh, but it's not clear as to are they going to also represent the board now as well. Um, so it's 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 kind of interesting. I have to read up all the documents, and they have they did submit an appearance, but I didn't check to see uh, did they submit appearance by both parties or not.
6: Now, one of the uh, documents that I had a chance to read mentions that um, they're claiming the board of registration and elections wasn't properly served. Are you? Can you speak to that at all? Did you guys serve them?
7: Uh, yes, we did send the board of Elections. So here's this is a kind of a long story. Um, so, but it's, and it's kind of humorous, actually. So um, under, Georgia's sovereign immunity law changed at the end of the year. We, had, we originally had to sue the board members individually um, because you just couldn't sue them in their official capacity because they would just claim sovereign immunity and the case would be dismissed. And that's happened before here. So we sued them in their individual capacity. When the sovereign immunity law changed January 1, we then switched and sued them uh, in their, um, their official capacity as, as the board. Um, so we, instead of suing the individual members, we just switched it to the board. It's still the same people, same attorney, everything's the same. And then now the board is saying, well, we didn't get served. And we're saying, what do you mean you didn't get served? We'd served the same five people that are on your board and you showed up uh, at the hearing and you didn't object. So under uh, Georgia as I understand it. Um, if you show up at a hearing and you don't object, then the service is no longer a question. So I don't think that's going to fly.
6: And now what's going to be the next case? Like, are, do, are you guys planning on filing anything in response to these recent filings? Or what is uh, your, your plan moving forward?
7: Yeah, most definitely. We'll uh, file a response. There are a variety of laws that apply here that uh, would invalidate their claims. So we're not really that concerned about it, um, but we have to wait 30 days to resolve it on. And it's in the kicking the can down the road again, but I think we'll get there sooner or later.
6: Yeah, and how how are you feeling with the judge? Do you think he's uh, taking the appropriate measures here moving forward? Uh...
7: He he wants to cover uh, all of his bases. Uh, he wants to make sure everything's done, uh, you know, exactly correct um, before uh, this happens. So uh, I feel like uh, you know that's good because you know you uh, don't have to worry about uh, an, an appeal overturning anything. So. You know, we'll be patient, and you know it's 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 painful and time-consuming, but uh, we're still moving in the right direction.
6: And now let me ask you this right so you've had so much success so far in your lawsuit with the judge actually unsealing these ballots and getting as far as you have now with this new discovery where they're hiring criminal defense attorneys have you heard anything from the secretary of state's office have they publicly commented or reached out or anything of that nature now that we have all this new information coming out
7: no i i, I don't know if they will i think see this is all about the county now the the uh, secretary of state and the attorney general threw up all the roadblocks last month this month the county board of commissioners and the board of elections are throwing up all the roadblocks with these new motions so um, i i don't think that they will be involved in each other so we'll just have to kind of let these roll and you know we'll see take them out one at a time and hopefully we'll we'll still move forward Awesome.
1: awesome All right. So thank you so much to Heather Mullins for that exceptional interview. And we'll continue to bring you the very latest on the Georgia audit, as well as everything else going on with election integrity, as always. Um, Also, I am the chairwoman of the Election Integrity Alliance. You can find us at americangreatnessfund.com and definitely support all of the election integrity efforts across the country. And now to just the word. Luke 16, 10 through 13 says, one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other.